Kia ora whanau, uh, welcome to the Do Good Teas podcast. The Do Good Teas podcast is brought to you by Do Good Teas. What a surprise. Do Good Teas is a t-shirt company with a bit of a difference. We take um, art from artists and we put it on our t-shirts. We don't just take it, we get their permission and we give a portion of the profits directly to them and then they choose a charity and we give a portion of the profits directly to that charity too. So by wearing a Do Good Tea, you're supporting the artist and you're supporting a sweet charity like the Mental Health Foundation or Rainbow Youth or the Women's Refuge. All sorts of great charities. Look good, do good, and check us out on the web at dogoodteas.co.nz and our Instagram is at do.good.teas. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, Maddie, what I want you to say is welcome to the Do Good Teas podcast. You come with me. Yeah, one, two, three. Welcome. Do that. Uh, I don't know the rules. The rules are that you say welcome to the Do Good Teas podcast. That's the rules. That's the rules. That's the rules. Okay, you ready? Out. Toru fa. Stay home. Save lives. Home. It's where we've been told to go. It's the place where we can do the most good by stopping the spread of COVID-19. But what do you do when your home isn't your safe place? It's a place of nightmares. It's a place where you are sexually, mentally and physically abused. It's a place where you see your children and loved ones abused with you. Controlled, dominated, living in a constant state of fear. Stay home, save lives. But what if staying home makes you fearful for yours? On this episode of the Do Good Tease podcast, we'll be talking about domestic violence in the context of coronavirus. We'll be looking at the amazing work that the Women's Refuge does and also looking at some of the social conditions that are creating the situation and provide some practical advice how you can help your loved ones, how you can help yourself and how you can break free. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tony... Cheapest creepers, I need something a bit bright, you know? Domestic violence during a lockdown, that's a bit grim. But hey, look, we need to face it because it's a reality of the country that we live in. Unfortunately, New Zealand has the highest rate of domestic abuse in the OECD, which is an atrocious statistic to associate with New Zealand. The good thing that we have going in New Zealand is we have some incredible people. Kia ora, Ange. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? How are you going? I'm good. Can you hear and see me? I can hear and see you, and it is a pleasure oh. to hear and see you. How are you this morning? Spoiler alert, she was good. 
That's Dr. Ash Jury, Chief Executive of the Women's Refuge. We get the big hitters here at the Duke and Tees podcast. It's a real pleasure to have some of your time, and it was also a pleasure. I don't know what a pleasure is, but apparently it was one of those too. So one of the reasons I wanted to start doing this particular podcast about this topic was when this, uh, when we were put into lockdown, one of the first things that was coming out of the news was that there was going to be a spike in domestic violence. And I thought, a spike in domestic violence? Why is it just a natural given that that's going to happen? Um, I think it was largely an intuitive thing, Tony. Um, it was also driven by reports from overseas, of course, uh, about what they were um, seeing or forecasting, predicting. And um, I think the the big driver here is that um, there are many, many, many relationships across New Zealand that are fraught with violence, right? And uh, what the lockdown has has done is it's removed all of the um, protective distances that um, people in those relationships um, previously enjoyed which may have uh, kept them safer which may have given them uh, that necessary breathing space uh, to, to to stop things boiling over there's no um, day-to-day uh, contact with family with friends it's all very insular uh, that <coughs> that little bubble um, becomes the be all and end all and um, sometimes those bubbles are incredibly fraught but i think the reason we then know it's going to increase in in this time is is because one our stress and anxiety is going up because of the situation and we all know that stress and anxiety come from feeling overwhelmed, they come from feeling threatened. That's clinical psychologist Sam O'Sullivan, my rural guru, giving his thoughts on the same question. I still can't say rural guru. Try it for yourself, it's hard to say. And so basically, if those things are increasing, if our sense of, especially if our sense of feeling threatened is increasing, we respond um, in, you know, with the fight-flight response. And of course the fight response is what's known as anger and often that involves externalizing that anger and becoming violent. So if you can't deal with something internally within yourself and you can't manage those emotions, um, like the fear, and it's usually fear um, and sometimes sadness, then you're gonna express that outwards towards someone, especially someone you then see as, you know, you, you see them as a threat. They're like, well, they're almost like COVID. They're like a symbol of COVID and you're like, you're messing with me, you're taking away my sense of control, you're making me feel powerless, whatever, and then you're gonna take that out on them and as a way to manage your emotions. So we, so that, that's, that's really key. And I think the other thing that's going on with the situation is because we're going in the bubbles, things that are um, less visible and almost more able to be concealed than they, they were before. And not only that, but people can actually use the situation as an excuse um, to manipulate their partners to say, hey, look, actually, no, you, you shouldn't be leaving the bubble. You shouldn't be going out and seeing your friends. You know, you shouldn't be talking about this. This is, you know, we need to keep this in our bubble. So we've set up this situation that is kind of amplifying what's already happening in this country.
So it's well established we have a big problem with domestic abuse in this country, but we also have a big problem with COVID-19 all over the world, and in New Zealand it's causing a huge amount of anxiety and stress. And due to these massive shifts and these massive stresses and anxieties that are coming into our lives, it's creating a lot of pressure on relationships. So as a result of all this, if you're seeing changes in your relationship and you're fearful that it may become abusive, what are some steps you can take to mitigate that risk or get help if you need it? And also what are some key indicators to look for? Um, One thing I would say right there is it's not so much volatility that we need to look out for, though that is uh, important towards the the furthest end, I guess. I think the things that need to be watched out for more carefully are things like a growing desire to control who somebody talks with uh, and what they do and how they do it. Uh, it's those things that are, those are the, the early signs that people, that women really need to be looking out for carefully because those are the precursors to um, the volatility and the potential physical violence that happens. So in terms of advice, um, I'd be reaching out for help sooner rather than later. And I would be, uh, if if that partner is is of course willing, I would be um, trying to encourage them to reach out for help as well. I think, yeah, number one, like look after your own safety and the safety of your children, like make sure that's um, secure. And that means, you know, um, contacting Women's Refuge, certainly maybe we let know some friends or loved ones uh, about what's happening. So and setting up some processes for them so you know you can reach out to them and they'll instantly be able to send help or come over, um, ideally not breaching. Uh, social distancing uh, maybe that just calling the police is better at this time but like just looking after your safety having just having a conversation with women's refuge doesn't mean you necessarily need to leave or anything needs to happen but just making them aware of it and getting some advice Um, yeah and then also having those systems with your friends but you don't necessarily need to jump to that it's good just to have that safety mechanism set up so setting up a safety network is key. Social distancing doesn't is more about physical distancing. Make sure you keep those social networks tight with your loved ones and family and friends if you possibly can. And if you can't, that's a sign that there's something seriously wrong if they're taking the control of your devices and your communications away. In those situations, the women's refuge and even the police are there to help. But in the case of a relationship that's becoming more volatile, maybe a little bit more shouty, what are some strategies that you can put in place to effectively reopen those lines of communication so that you can continue to enjoy a safe and harmonious relationship and get through this horrible COVID-19 crisis together? What I'd say is key, if, if you're worried about your partner, I mean, it's good to think about, you probably know them quite well, and it's good to think about, hey, what's going on underneath this and like I said anger is not a primary emotion it's not an emotion that happens first it happens secondary to another emotion primarily fear and also sadness so you need to ask yourself what is this person scared of or what is this making my partner upset and you probably have some insight into that and you probably have a sense of how to approach that discussion with them but if you can get down to the bottom of the fear and go you know is, is this about not being able to work and therefore not feeling like a man and being able to provide for us. Firstly, like you don't need to do that. I'm a capable person and we're getting probably getting financial support. And we're really lucky in this country to have that. Second, secondly, it's not your fault. You know, this isn't something that you need to feel blame for. This is a complete external situation that everyone's going through. 
And what I really want is, what I really need you to provide is a loving relationship for me and the family. And that's what really matters. Um, because if you can have a conversation like that or whatever conversation you need to have and deal with the sense of sadness and fear directly um, and reassure them and take away whatever narratives and stories they have in their head about how they're letting you down or how they're worthless or how they're a piece of shit or whatever, um, then that'll actually take away the root issue. And I acknowledge that that's a hard thing to do and can be hard to navigate, could be for defensive and all sorts of things. And it's just a vulnerable area. But if you can just do that carefully in a way you think it's going to work best, perhaps while you're doing an activity, um, often much easier than just face-to-face, -face, do it over the dishes or have a conversation over um, doing some gardening or something where you don't need to always be talking. You can, like a lot of males, like to talk a bit and then have a bit of a time to process it. Um, some people suggest go back to times of like hunting where men were a lot more nonverbal um, and spend a lot of time in silence together. I don't know if that's for sure the reason. Um, and it doesn't justify the men. But yeah, that's, that's what I suggest really, is trying to deal with it, fear and sadness directly. So there are conversations that you can have that may help your relationship get to the underlying issue that is creating that friction and that hostility and whatever resentment is in your companion. But please only have those conversations if you are in a safe place. If you are fearful for your safety or your loved one's safety, please call the police or the woman's refuge or both. And that is so, so important. Like so many things in COVID-19, our worlds have changed, our jobs have changed. And even what the Women's Refuge are doing is changing. So let's hear from Dr. Ange Jury um, about how Women's Refuge is reacting to this COVID-19 crisis and also what changes are taking place within their organization as a result. Well, the, the one thing that's not available um, is the same level of um, physical care and comfort um, that would have previously been offered. Um, we are Women's Refuge is, is very much a face-to-face -face service and um, that caring and compassion is often shown by sitting down having a cup of tea with somebody or um, having something to eat or sitting outside having a cigarette or giving someone a hug when they're really distressed. Now all of those things are gone so we're having to operate um, primarily um, via phone, via internet, you know, having conversations like this over Zoom. Um, there is still face-to-face -face work going on, but it's at a distance and uh, it's behind masks and, and such, such things like that. So um, the other thing that has changed is that Generally, or previously, our accommodation, our safe house accommodation was provided in, in safe houses. And that meant that um, there might be two, sometimes three families sharing a safe house. So a <coughs> creating a, a bit of a supportive environment for them, uh, a supportive community. Um, so what we've had to do to ensure that the women that were already in our safe houses um, could maintain their bubbles, we've had to move to using um, motels and Airbnbs for any new uh, admissions to the service. So 
you know, they're getting the same same um, support from the refuge advocates. Uh, what they're not getting is the um, company and the sharing of other women uh, in, in the same situation. So it's a little bit more isolated, but it is meaning that there is more intensive contact from the refuge advocates because they've recognised that, you know, there's more support that's required. So, you know. Um, the other thing that's different is that um, there's a lot more emphasis being placed on the making sure people have access to the day-to-day -day necessities. Um, things like groceries, nappies, formula, you know, things like that, that, you know, if you're a, a single parent uh, at home with your kids, um, you're not supposed to take them to the supermarket. So in effect, they're stuck. You know, they can't, they can't go out um, to do these things because they, they can't leave the kids at home. So we've been doing a fair bit of work um, distributing Kai and um, making sure people have what they need to get through. So as you can hear, the Women's Refuge is still doing some incredible work. Sure, it's a shame that they can't do that personal touch that they're so well known for, that they're doing so incredibly, incredibly well. I think we all could do with a massive, massive hug from someone from the Refuge right now. But the thing they're still able to do, they're still able to provide refuge in the form of Airbnbs and motels. They're able they're to provide safety. It was really interesting talking to Ange though because she mentioned although they've seen spikes, they've seen ups and downs in terms of the intake they've been taking in the Women's Refuge. One of her biggest fears is the people who aren't calling. terrible thing about this lockdown is that those are the sorts of behaviours that might previously have been something that, they would, that the victim would ring about and say, hey, what's going on here? Um, but of course, they're locked up with the person utilizing these behaviors so their ability to have the privacy and the freedom to make those calls to check out what's happening or to ask for help is gone you know unless they are allowed to go to the supermarket by themselves and feel like standing in a queue making a really personal conversation like that um so yeah their ability to reach out for help is the thing that's that has been so incredibly inhibited and the thing that worries me most to be honest it's a terrifying thought isn't it someone being trapped in an abusive situation and not being able to get help just having no ability to so what can you do if you suspect that someone outside your bubble one of your loved ones is on the receiving end of domestic abuse what strategies can you put in place that you can do everything that you can to connect with them and help them get through well i mean the first thing i'd say there tony is actually some bubbles actually have to be burst so you know that's just a fact if a, ba a bubble isn't safe then um it needs to be popped. Um, for people who are worried about friends and whanau, uh, I think maintaining good contact with that person um, over the telephone, over Zoom, whatever means you can use. And if you have the, uh, the degree of privacy that, that's needed, maybe suggesting to that person that we come up with a, a bit of a code word. So it might be, um, you know just something really innocuous 
that can be slipped into the conversation if that person does require help. Now that would mean that um, if that code word were used, that would mean that the person who was worrying would know to call police, even if it was only asking police to go and do a welfare check. So, you know, um, can you please go and check on this person? I'm really worried about them. And um, I think that's the, the best thing, uh, things people can do. They're just that staying in touch and, and not allowing that isolation to get any worse than it already is. Because uh, family violence is something that um, thrives, thrives on privacy and silence and um, those sorts of things. Domestic violence really appears to live in shadows and thrive in silence. So the best thing we can do is speak up, speak to each other, start that conversation, go beyond rhetoric and force action. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, domestic violence was a problem before COVID-19 crisis and will be a problem afterwards. And it's especially a problem here in New Zealand. And as a New Zealand man, it's a source of shame. What are we doing wrong? Where is this coming from? A lot of males is that they're, they're not prepared to do that. They're not prepared to be honest and vulnerable and really tune into what they're feeling and why it's happening. Because again, of socialization, because men from a young age are taught to not be vulnerable. That to be, you know, especially in countries like New Zealand and you know, other countries, countries with a similar sort of like um, traditional masculine culture um, of like the, the tough man, the rural man alone, you know, the heroes that we had growing up, the rugby players, the, you know, the mountain climbers, um, that these men tough through, that they like, you know, it's like, they, it's like their physical toughness of like, oh, I just push myself through it as being applied to emotional toughness and that that's how we should be. But that's, that's not, that doesn't work, you know, emotionally, that is not what emotional toughness is, you know, it's, if you do that with your emotions, they'll burst out in the anger that they're going to get out somehow and they're going to come out as violence um, instead of coming out in, in vulnerability and, and sort of feeling sad and grieving and you know, expressing those fears and talking about that. Instead, it just comes out as aggression. So that's, that's a social thing in New Zealand. Um, and, it's, and it's a tough thing for a lot of men to actually talk about emotions because of that, because of that. And sometimes even, you know, maybe even their partner doesn't like it because they've been taught the exact same thing too. You know, a lot of, um, you know, people, especially in rural areas can feel, can, you know, the, the, the woman can be very tough, um, sometimes tougher than the men. Um, and they don't want to be, they're maybe not attracted to men that are vulnerable. You know, I've heard a lot of women say, oh, men whine, and, you know, I don't want a man that, you know, um, cries and that kind of thing. So it's, this is not a male issue alone, it's a social issue. Um, and it's super tough for a lot of guys to express vulnerability. I know, I know myself, you know, I hid a lot of stuff from people because I just didn't think that was okay to talk about. And as I said, to talk about that, publicly that was extremely hard it's, I think I think it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage and these are uh, masculine um, values and traits to talk about feelings and I think that's what's playing out in relationships is there's a lack of communication because men just don't want to reveal their vulnerability to someone and be seen as weak and unattractive um, and you know sometimes they will put that on their partner they will actually be like, okay I can talk to you and no one else and that's not healthy either you know, like you need to be seeking that support 
from your community, not just from one person. Your partner is not a community, your partner is one person. Um, that's, that's super important, so don't put it all on them either when it starts coming out, because you're still dealing with that you know, internal conflict, you don't want that internal conflict to become you and them, um, if that makes sense. Sam, as a young man, was a clinical psychologist at a psych ward in Porido, a place with some pretty serious individuals who had some pretty serious issues. And I just want to share this one story that um, I think really speaks to one of the underlying reasons why violence exists within New Zealand society and within our relationships and families. I will always remember talking to one man in hospital and he didn't really let people in very easily, but he eventually, you know, about two years of kind of getting to know him slowly, he let me in. And the first thing he, he did was put up his fist. And it was, his fist was probably the size of my head. He was a big Māori man. And he said, Sam, this is what I know. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He said, this is everything I know. This is, this is what motivates me. This is how I get what I want. This is how I get punished. This is how I like, get told I can't have something. This is, this is, this is what I know. And it's all I know and it's what comes out, especially when I'm, you know, distressed. Um, and there's a lot more to that story and it's quite a, you know, sad story as a lot of these stories are. But that's, that's how he was taught to navigate the world. Um, not through uh, his voice, not through you know, the nuances of awareness of other people and their emotions. It was just through that, it was that simple. You smash someone um, to get what you want or you're smashed. Um, so that's happening for a lot of people in New Zealand. That's been perpetuated through the generations and it's just continuing to be taught. Now, one of the things we don't teach um, our young people very well is how to communicate with each other, particularly within intimate relationships. So if you bring together that social environment, the way the discourses that shape uh, who we are as men and as women, bring those together with uh, an inability to communicate about how you might be feeling and uh, how how things could be done different, you know, all of those sorts of things, um, those soft skills. If you bring those two things together, uh, I think that goes a long way to explaining it. One of, one of the things I've often talked about when I've been doing public talks, because that question always comes up, well, how do we stop it? And to my mind, the best, best avenue to stopping it is starting to put a lot more effort into our little people. You know, not our teenagers, because it's, it's actually a little bit late with our teenagers, to be fair. By the time we get programs into teenagers, chances are they're already locked into intimate relationships anyway. So I'm talking about the little people, you know, actually primary school people, kids, and not talking to them about violence, sexual or domestic, but actually talking to them about um, how to be together uh, in relationship with each other. You know, those boring old things um, like empathy and uh, compassion and Jacinda's favourite, kindness, and the value of those. Now, that's that would be a strategy, I think, that would have um, payoff across time. It would not happen overnight. I think it would 
that you'd be looking at the work of several generations um, of concerted effort. But I really think um, that until we get that critical mass of young people coming through who actually actually don't accept violence, um, because we have a great rhetoric around not accepting violence, but it is by and large a rhetoric. So if we have this critical mass of these young people who, who, who literally don't accept it and who don't practice it, um, then we have a, a real chance to make a difference. There we have it. We have a chance to make a difference. And it's on us right now. Okay. And I love what she has to say about educating other little people. I have a little person. I have a two-year-old. So... I, the, the sooner I can teach her about kindness and compassion and love and being with each other and just being kind to the people in her life, the, the better. And I try and do that and I know that there's so many great parents in listening to this, but let's not just think about our own children, let's think about all our children. We are a community. We are a, we are a national village, New Zealand, and our village has got a problem with domestic abuse. I started this podcast uh, really wanting to go into the the depths of you know the COVID-19 crisis and that situation of people not being able to get out of you know abusive bubbles and it's a huge issue and I think we've got some really great practical tools from both Sam and Dr. Ange but I this kind of really opened my eyes once again to the massive problem we're facing with domestic abuse so please support the Women's Refuge they're an incredible organization doing incredible things and is now going to let you know how you can support your woman's refuge at this point in time non-financial help is a real problem um, we normally rely quite heavily on um, donations of goods particularly groceries stuff like that um, those we can't do that anymore um, we've we've had to shut the door to all donations of goods and kind um, from from the general public so the only real avenue at this point is is, a fina is financial donations. Um, but the other thing that that would really help us, because you know, even though we're um, our reason for being is is domestic violence and the continuation of domestic violence, um, what we would all really really like is if uh, one day Women's Refuge didn't have to exist. So in terms of supporting us. It means doing all the things that, that we've been talking about. It's looking after each other. It's challenging behaviour. It's uh, encouraging those used in violence to, to seek help and change. It's doing all those little things with our kids to create that empathy and compassion. <clears throat> so that, you know, maybe demand for service would drop off. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe in my daughter's lifetime. Um, please go to womensrefuge.org.nz. Um, go check out what they do um, that goes on about how they goes on. And it informs us about how they support and how you can get involved with them as well. They are incredible people doing incredible things um, and now needed more than ever before. Massive thank you to Ange, the CEO from the Women's Refuge. Thank you so much for your time. Sam O'Sullivan, my clinical psychologist who was on last week's episode and this week's episode. This is a topic 
topic that he feels super passionate about, please go check out Tough Talk. There's so many great resources and conversations going on about, you know, men's masculinity and well-being, which are really, really closely tied and related to this particular topic. And his input in today's um, episode was so, so appreciated. Also, um, Tough Talk is, they're doing... Um, He's doing a mindfulness session like, through Facebook Live. They're doing mindfulness sessions, sort of um, just ergonomic work about how you can work from home. Uh, someone's doing, um, was reading me Winnie the Pooh the other night to like, get me to go to sleep. It was lovely. Anyway, Sam's doing all sorts of great stuff. Go check out Tough Talking Z on Facebook. It's a really, really great place to get some great information and just have a good chat with good people. Uh, finally, also, I just want to thank Dean Proudfoot. Dean Proudfoot chose Women's Refuge. He's one of our artists. He has two great t-shirts one that says be nice to your mum which is a great message um look uh, go check out dean profit's work he's dope and thank you so much for choosing the woman's refuge as your chosen charity mate really really do appreciate that finally this is the do good tease podcast um please give us a review if you're listening on apple or if you're listening on stitcher give us an appropriate level of stars if you thought it was five stars please leave five stars if you thought it was one star probably don't listen again but feel free not to leave a review thank you so much for listening we really do appreciate you this is a tough time for everyone let's stick in tight let's be close and let's love each other and let's be good do good okay maddie can you say thank you for listening thank you for <laughs> maddie say with some enthusiasm thank you for listening thank you for listening i love you i love you lots of kisses more kisses one more one more Thank you.